Welcome to the Check Your Head Podcast, the podcast where notable musicians and experts come and share their stories and solutions for mental health and wellness. I'm your host, Mari Fong, a music journalist and life coach for musicians, and today I have some exciting announcements. First, the Check Your Head Podcast has partnered with Sweet Relief Musicians Fund, a 501c3 nonprofit that helps musicians in need for the past 28 years. Sweet Relief Musicians Fund has helped a number of musicians and their crew staff, especially during the pandemic, and has also established a mental health fund. So if you'd like to support with your donation, visit sweetrelief.org or visit checkyourheadpodcast.com. Second, the Check Your Head Podcast has a new YouTube channel with video interviews of Seether, Gilby Clark, and more. So be sure to check out our new YouTube channel and please subscribe. Third, we have our featured guest for today. This band recently dropped their seventh studio album called The Human Condition, and the live version of their single, Again, just reached number 15 on Alt-Rock Radio. Our musical guest today is the awesome Chris Robertson, lead singer and guitarist of Blackstone Cherry, who shares the story of bipolar disorder, anxiety, and panic attacks, along with his solutions for recovery. Next, I interview a mental health expert who shares more about the symptoms of bipolar, our expert being Carly Hester from NAMI Philadelphia, and we'll also discuss the connection between gut health and mental health. So let's begin with Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry. Well, today we have Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry, and you just released a new album called The Human Condition, which is your seventh album. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. First of all, how are you surviving and thriving during this pandemic? It's been weird. I mean, I never would have thought ever in my lifetime that I would have taken (laughs) essentially a year off at anyone's mercy but my own. I, I would have never thought that I would have got told that you really can't do what you do anymore. And that was, uh, at first, it was like, oh, it'll open back up. And then the, the longer that went on and the more things that got canceled or postponed for an entire year, it starts to weigh on you. And this year's been tough. There's, there's no two ways around it. Not only, you know, everyone's financially struggled, but the bigger picture is uh, how is this affecting people mentally? Because I know for me, I, I am a person who is manic depressive. Clinically, I, I'm manic depressive. And I have severe anxiety. So it's either really good or it's really bad. And sometimes that that side slips up on you. But for me, this year has just been about trying to spend time with family and and really looking inward more than anything. And I mean, I I had to get on an extra medication. I've taken medication for 10 years now, roughly almost, uh, nine, 10 years. And I'm okay with that. that. That's what I've found that that allowed me to wake up and, and actually realize the world can be beautiful and, mm-hmm. and the people in it can be as well. I'm an entertainer. That is what I was born to do. It's the only thing I've ever been really passionate about. And then you've also got to worry about the virus. And then you've got people in, in my family that don't have the strongest immune systems, whether they're fighting cancer or just old age or whatever. So it's, it's six million worries and one positive. But for me, no matter how many worries there are today, I try to find the one positive and like latch onto that thing with everything I got and just try to figure out a way to make that the bigger picture of the day. Well, you know, you have the album, The Human Condition, and it's got songs mm-hmm. like Push Down and Turn that have a bit of a mental health message. Mm-hmm. Is there a message that you're trying to, to give out to your fans with this album? I mean, essentially for me, it's okay to be a little fucked up. Just the hardest part for me was ever admitting that, right? Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing for me was going, I have a problem Mm -hmm. and I need help. Because as as a dude, I was raised like you can be the tough one in the family. You you just, you kind of embrace everything and, and take it on and just take one for the team. And for me, it was finally trying to break that down and go, okay, you need help. Like, you've got to do something about this now. But, you know, talking to someone 
And the first time I went and talked to a, a doctor who specialized in mental health, it was the most eye-opening experience of my life because I had every preconceived notion going into it. Like they hear the same thing every day. They hear this from so many people a day. But the difference is, is when you talk to a doctor that specializes in mental health, they haven't seen that story every day. They know that each person is different and it, you can't treat mental health like the flu or a common cold because that's not how it works. And the other kind of damning thing about mental health is it's the only illness you seem to have to prove to someone you have before they will understand it mm-hmm. or begin to accept it a lot of times. My dad finds out he has cancer and it's an immediate Oh man, this is serious. But when somebody says, I've, I've been going through some shit in my head, man, it's it's common just to go, oh, you'll be all right, man. You, you'll, you'll brush it off. I want to get to a place where people can get the same amount of, of attention and respect the people that truly need the help. Mm-hmm. My hope is that when someone says, I need help, people's ears perk up. Instead of brushing it off, spark a discussion. It's just about trying to help break down that that stigma about mental health in general, and especially men. Just because we have a little different biological makeup, we're not allowed to do these things. Push Down and Turn is a song that is literally inward about what I have to do day to day to understand myself and to keep moving forward. It's not easy. Mental health is the is the weirdest thing in the world because... I have days where I'm the happiest dude on the planet. And then I have days where no matter what, you know, the circumstances are, it's just impossible for me to get going. And those are the days that are hard because for somebody like me, I know when I am and when I'm not the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I'm not the best version of myself, that anything I do is not going to be good enough perfect example of that is yesterday. I was literally so busy trying to get caught up around home and I was very frustrated and I knew that I could not do this to the best of my ability. But it just, it gets back to that constant battle up here of good enough or not, like bad or good, good enough or not. Today I I woke up in a pretty good mood and I was like, I'm going to have a good day today. I've really been on this thing like, if you believe something enough, you can make that a reality. When something as simple as saying, I'm going to have a good day today. If you make yourself believe you're going to have a good day, you're going to have a good day. The thoughts in our head do sort of affect our behavior, mm-hmm. affect how we see things. And sometimes those positive remarks are really going to help. But then there are times when no matter how much we try to change our thoughts, we still are in this depression or we still are in the state of anxiety. And I know in 2011, uh, things kind of came to a head for you. The suicidal thoughts turned into a possible suicidal action. So can you tell me some of the feelings and some of the events that led up to that time? I think it was just letting things build up over, over the course of, let's see, I would have been 26, getting ready to be 27. And I think a lot of it was just stuff that through my childhood and then through school and then trying to work with record labels and and just being turned away and told certain things. And I was always the kind of person that I would just let everything build up. I would just take it and just be like, whatever, dude. And I could blow it off in person. But then when I would go home, when I get alone, I would start like, damn it, man. What was it that person said? Like, what is it that I'm not good enough for them? Or why is it, are my parents arguing because of me? Or is this my fault? Or are things my fault? And I've always worried about stuff like that, you know, so bad. But I always kept it to myself. And then finally, I just hit a point where I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I just broke. You, you can only bend so much and take on so much weight until you fall down. And And ultimately for me, I think it was I just carried so much weight on me of things that I could never let go of or or things that I hadn't really processed yet. You know, one thing you mentioned is being manic depressive. And Mm -hmm. 
a lot of people are familiar with depression, uh, but the mania part, can you describe uh, an incident or what it feels like when you're going through a manic period? If you ever look at a graph and you see the peaks and you see the valleys, right? So for me, it's weird. Like I have days where I'm climbing, right? I'm climbing up and I'm sliding down. I'm climbing up and I'm sliding down, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like the old guy on uh, on uh, The Price is Right, the guy climbing the avalanche or whatever. <laughs> kind of like him. I, I get it wrong and I slide back down. But then there are days where I can't get footing mm-hmm. and I can't dig my fingers in enough. I can't scream enough to make the snow move. I can't do anything to get it going. That's like the depression side for me, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the other side of it is sometimes I get on like such just like a a good day, like on such a high of the day that I'm just like I'm so wide open that I feel like I annoy the living hell out of everybody because mm. I'm like, hey, let's do this, let's do this. I got a million ideas. I want to do this and. I'm in such a great space. And then the next morning I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. Mm. And that is the real struggle. For me, that's the hardest thing to deal with is, is that internal struggle of because of the way my brain works when it's great, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that I, I want to do and get done and I can plan these things. But then that next day, that the switch can flip and it's completely different. Mm. And I immediately regret every decision I made the day before to do something. Mm. So that's, that's the other side of it is is even when I'm like on top of the world, happy, there's a worry in my mind that this is great, but tomorrow I'm going to like not want to do what I said I'd do two days from now, you know, and that that's a weird place to be, but it's, I'm learning new ways to process things every day. You know I mean? That's, that's the ultimate goal in life to me is, is to figure out how to become the absolute best version of me. That way I can hopefully help someone else do the same. Mm-hmm. I just wish more people took it seriously. That's why when I write my portion of the lyrics for the band, it's in a song like Push Down and Turn, that came from a, a photograph I had taken. Because I called the, the photo the circle of life. Because for me, that's what it is. Every morning I wake up, I get those bottles out and I take my medication and I go on about my day. And I literally did it. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to post this and just say a few words about mental health. And it like blew up on my Instagram. And so many people reached out to me. And then there was one comment. You should write a song about this. So, so we did. We wrote Push Down and Turn. And it's funny. Like the chorus says, uh, once by mouth, two times a day, see you next month, same time, same place. About a month after we got out of the studio was when things started not getting any better in the world and things started not getting any better upstairs for me. And that was when I called my doctor and I ended up on a new medication. Once by mouth, two times a day. Funny thing for me, but I have to find the humor in things like that. It, people would look like, damn, I can't believe you have to do that. I'm like, it's funny to me. Like I wrote a song and then it happened. Like, I, How can you not kind of giggle Somebody like me, like when you've been as dark as I have, you have to find the humor in anything that you can, because all it takes is one little thing and you can go right back there in a heartbeat. Speaking out about emotions like sadness and grief and anger, even uh, why do you think it's so difficult for men, especially to put those into words and to be able to express that to not only a therapist, but also to someone close, like a friend or a family member? I think it's that fear of, of looking inferior. Honestly, for me, that's what it always was. Like my mentality, I was always around tough dudes. Like my dad was a guy that, that worked in lumber yards and my grandpa bricked houses and house foundations. Like they were men who did man work and they were the, they were the foundation of the house. When, when everything hit the fan, that's who everybody gathered around. And for me, I wanted to be that so bad. And truthfully, to some degrees, I am that. But I will never be what was in my mind for that. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it was like, you got to be Superman. 
the fact of the matter is, is, is even Superman has something that affects him, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody's bulletproof, but I, I think it's just the fear of being looked at as demasculated or as inferior. Because I remember clearly I was sitting on my couch and I was rubbing my hair back and forth when I had hair. And I was just, I was crying so hard as silently as I could because my dad was there and I didn't want him to see me like that. And just looking at him saying, I'm sorry, because I didn't want him to see me like that. And him and my wife both start crying and they're like, look, it, it is okay, man. We understand you're trying, you've reached out, you've got help. It is okay. And and once I finally heard my daddy say, honey, it's okay. Let it out. Mm-hmm. Like that, that did something for me because me, he's, he is Superman. You know I mean? Just, there's no two ways around it. My old man is Superman. He's Batman. He's Superman. He's Captain America. He's all of them to me. To hear that from someone that I admired so much, it was something that, that really changed me. Well, he definitely is Superman. I mean, the fact that his love for you has gone beyond any kind of image of what it is to be a man. And Mm -hmm. he's man enough to respect all parts of you, right? Mm -hmm. All the emotions that are within you. And uh, he just wanted you to get better and to be happy. And I think every parent that is thinking about their child first is going to just want to see their, their children happy and to do whatever they need to do to help them. And that's why when we hear about musicians that do end up taking their own life, mm-hmm. there's always that thought like, if I had only known, what could I have done? Because it really gets us in the heart, right? If there's anybody that we care about, even somebody who's a stranger that uh, loses their life at such a dark time. In 2011, you you did try to take your life, or you thought about it very seriously, and you pulled back from it. But you, but you said there was something that pulled you back from that. Can you tell me uh, what was, that was? I've been laughed at. I've been I've been called everything, and I'll say it till the day I die. I literally, God stopped me. I said, no, this is not happening. And I turned back, went in my house put the gun up and I just sat on my couch and cried. For me, that was kind of a defining moment of me knowing, okay, there is some kind of higher power because it was literally like something just grabbed me and said, no. And I can't explain it. Like I said, I've been made fun of and, and told I should have done it and, and a million different things. And it really bothered me at first. They mock me for believing in whatever I believe in. There's also 25, 30 people that go, thank you for speaking out about this. If if I can keep anybody from getting there, then I can handle anything anybody's got to say. Yeah. And I really applaud you for that because it takes a lot of strength and bravery to be that honest. Now, you mentioned being manic depressive Mm -hmm. and oftentimes that like the symptoms can start in childhood early on. Mm-hmm. Can you remember some of the first thoughts that you had that pointed to a mental health issue? Yeah, I was 10, 11 years old. We lived out in the country. And I remember, you know, I would ask my parents if I could stay home while they would go to town for a couple of hours. And I remember, and I don't know why, and, and I still don't understand. I can't understand why. At 10, 11, 12 years old, I would look up at a gun rack and go, I wonder if I shot myself, if anybody would notice. Mm-hmm. Because I, I didn't get treated bad. I mean, my parents argued, but they treated me good. They treated my brother good, my sister good. But I, I vividly remember sitting on the couch, looking up at that twenty-two rifle and going, I wonder if I did. I just wonder if people would even care. I'm glad you explained what it's like to be in a depression, because I think that depression, the thoughts can often lie to us, just like you looking at the gun and thinking these thoughts and also taking blame for things that weren't necessarily your fault. But there's something about the disorder that causes you to think that way. 
you also talked about anxiety. Can you give us some examples of some of the anxious feelings you've had and like examples of, of what goes through your head when you're anxious? So we used to go out to the merch booth every night and we haven't done that since 2011 or 12. For anyone who's never had a panic attack, for me, it's the closest thing to drowning while standing on land I could imagine. Mm. Right? Like you can't get your breath. It's very disorienting. And I've had panic attacks so bad where I feel kind of hazy. But it's like a complete feeling of like you're drowning standing on dry land, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing you can do. And for me, it's just a lot of times when I have a really bad one, I just need to get somewhere really quiet and and just relax and remember to breathe. But uh, they hit everyone differently because we all have different fears. For me, it starts, I'll I'll start feeling really, really overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start getting really, really nervous on top of that. And and then I know what's going to happen. And luckily, I have a medication that can really help those when I feel one coming on. That's, it's essentially an antihistamine that just kind of opens you up and allows me to breathe a little bit better um, Mm -hmm. when I feel one of those coming on. But it also has an adverse effect. Some people have tried the same medication I'm on and it intensifies theirs. But for me, it just, it allows me to breathe and and be able to just focus again. You know, you mentioned something about medication that I think is really Mm -hmm. important that each medication will affect us in different ways, whether it's Mm -hmm. side effects or efficacy. Can you describe what your journey has been to find the right medications for you? I started on one medication and it seemed to help, but all I could do was sleep. And then I had another medication that I had side effects from, so I couldn't use that. And it didn't seem to help me at all anyway. So it was just kind of a bust. But, you know, with a lot of medications, it takes a week or two for it to fully be in your system. And you got to give your body time to acclimate to those things. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think it was the third or fourth medication we tried seemed to just help take the edge off enough that everything was bearable and I could start to try to process how to deal with certain things. And I've been on that medication now for several years. And over the years, I'm up to the maximum dose of that medication. That's why I now have an additive with it. I mean, the thing for me is I've tried getting off medication. Mm -hmm. I've tried doing, you know, anything I could to not have to take medicine. And that just ain't in the cards for me. Nothing I've been able to do helps me as much as taking my prescriptions. The issues I have work for me anyways. And I know there's a million people that are like, no, you can do other things. And okay, yeah, anybody's able to try that. I did. But for me, what worked was taking tablets. Like I have uh, antidepressant slash anti-anxiety medication that I take in the morning. And then I also have my anxiety medication for if I feel like I've got a panic attack coming on. But I walk around with it and I, I don't mind. It really doesn't take up that much space in my pocket. It's not a big deal. Nobody else has to take it for me. So I don't know why anybody would have a problem with it. But so many people do. They're like, oh, you shouldn't take medicine. I'm like, well, you shouldn't be judgmental. So, <laughs> you know. Very true. And what I find interesting is that we have medications out there for depression, anxiety, and bipolar, and so many different things that have been tested that we know that for the long term, they can be good for you and really improve your life. But then there are other things that people tend to grab that aren't as healthy, but they seem to have no problem doing that. I drink my problems away many times. I got to a point where I was drinking uh, about a bottle about a fifth of Jim Beam on stage a night, dry straight out of the bottle. And yeah, it was because I like to have a good time. And at that point I was probably 265 pounds and I was a big guy sweating my ass off. So I could drink quite a bit without getting crazy. I had a high tolerance, but also it was about 50% because I like to have a good time and about 50% because it helped me not think about the stuff I didn't want to think about. Mm. And 
that's not healthy. People who say, well, taking prescriptions aren't healthy. Well, I'm not on any narcotics. Like I, I was able to get off of all of those. But nothing I take is highly addictive. Like everything I get, I can travel the world with. I, I have an antidepressant, a blood pressure medication that I take, mm -hmm. and a heartburn pill. Literally, that's what I take. You know what I mean? <laughs> so for me, it's I would much rather do that than... Like, I, I come from a family of a lot of alcoholics on one side, and I see what that does. I, I know what addiction does to my bloodline. Firsthand, I know what addiction does to my bloodline. So, What have you me, experienced for that? I mean, with that, with your family, and even with yourself? Um, family, so for family members, I, I've got several on one side of my family that, that have had their struggles with alcohol their whole life and, and various drugs. For me, the alcohol never got to where, like, I had to have it every day. Like, I could literally go three or four days. Like, I wouldn't drink at home hardly ever. But we get on the road and play a show, I'd drink a bottle. Mm -hmm. Just one of those things. But my biggest problems I've ever had were I got really addicted to Xanax when I first went through my breakdown and then pain pills. I got really, really bad on those. And... Thankfully, I, I was able to get off of those. I haven't had a pain pill in about about seven years, I guess, mm -hmm. like an actual narcotic. And for me, that's that's a big ass win. You know? No, that's huge. It's huge. You know, I used to be in the pharmaceutical industry, and mm -hmm. I got to know about benzodiazepines like Xanax. And yep. having to get off of painkillers, I mean, it is a huge mountain that you've overcome. Ultimately, it's a situation where when that addiction clicks in your head and you're like, I have to have this. Like, I would literally get woken up 10 minutes before a gig mm -hmm. and I would roll over and grab three or four Xanax out of a bottle, pitch them in my mouth and chew them up, mm. walking to the stage. Or I wouldn't play. I, I I felt if I didn't have my Xanax, I, I couldn't go play the show. Mm. And anybody that's ever had to take anything like that knows that they kind of zombify you a little bit. And here I was chewing three or four up at a time and walking on stage. And then I, I don't remember two years of touring. I just, I don't. From 2011, most of 2012, I'd like all of 2011 pretty much and 12 are just kind of a blur to me. Mm-hmm. Was there an incident that made you say, you know what, I can't take this anymore. I do need to go and do something. It about started for, for me. I realized I had to quit the, all the pills. We had been home and we had gone on the road and I was in England and my wife called and said, how you doing today? And I was like, I'm all right. You know, cause she knew I was struggling really bad. And she said, well, are you sitting down? And I was like, I can't be. She said, I'm pregnant. And I was immediately thrilled mm -hmm. because I had something positive in my life for a change. Even though I was playing sold out concerts and I had all the pills I could need, like I was miserable, really. And when she told me that, I said right then, I was like, all right, I got to get off this shit. I, got, I, I cannot keep taking pills. I've seen what it does to families firsthand. I cannot keep taking pills. And I, I, made myself I weaned myself off of them mm -hmm. and I, I will never look back at that stuff again you know that my kid means too much to me to to take another one of those mm. that's great I'm sure your life also changed after you, you were off those pills oh yeah and I can only imagine things getting brighter don't be wrong it, it, it was it was a pain in the ass letting them go because to me, that was a great thing, but I also knew that, number one, this will eventually kill me, mm -hmm. and number two, which was more important to me at the time than killing me was, I'm going to lose the only thing I really care about right now, which is my wife and, and our you know unborn child, if I can't get this together. She had never said that to me, but I, I, I completely felt that way and felt that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm glad that that incident was a happy moment and that it also helped oh, yeah. to improve your life in so many different ways. 
You know, there was something that I read in an article and there was a time when you said you hated playing music and that you needed to get high just to get on stage and play. Mm-hmm. What kind of led up to those feelings? That was just like the full-blown midst of me having a nervous breakdown. I, I had gone to the doctor and I had explained everything. I didn't want to be playing music at that time, not because of Ben, John, Fred, or John, but because of me personally and because of all the things that we had had to go through to try to please record labels over the years. I was just over it. I was done with it. I, I never wanted to do it again. And I was also eating a lot of pills at that point. And, and when you're zombified, you don't want to do much of anything, really. But I can't imagine. Uh, it, it's hard to take myself back and even imagine the, the thoughts in my brain to not want to play music. Because these days, that's a lot of what keeps me going is me and my guitar. I can't help it. It's, just, it's, it's a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it brings so much joy to everyone who listens to it as well as you write. You know, music is is such an expressive outlet and it's the one time that I feel like I can say anything and the the music is kind of a shield, really, especially with a song like Push Down and Turn and and When Angels Learn to Fly because those are two songs that are very, very close to me. You can take every possession I own you can strip me of everything to where I have nothing, but I still have my emotions and I still have my perception and my feelings. I think if we could all just get to a more human level where we put emotion, feeling, and our own perception of each other, the way we want people to look at us and treat us. Ever since I went through my thing and I found God and I was out here looking up at the stars out here at our house one night, because I live in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. You can look up just stars as far as you can see. And I realized in that moment that you have to take life seriously, but you can't take it so seriously that you forget to live it. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, bad days are bad days. Good days are great days. But the goal is to get it to where the bad days are all right days. All right's a hell of a lot better than where I used to be. Mm -hmm. And when you've got three dudes in a band where you are as tight as we all are and have been together, you really feel like you can let your guard down because they've got it for you and say anything you want to. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that, to me, that's just amazing. Well, I think anyone that you can be completely honest and feel comfortable being who you really are is going to feel good. You've also talked about therapy. Uh, in the past and what it's brought to your life. Can you tell us some of the benefits that you've received just going to therapy? I had a friend recently that was talking about it and they're like, I just don't know if I could talk to somebody that I don't know. And I said, just put this in your Rolodex and think about it. I said, if you tell me all your issues, I've got a preconceived notion because I know your life. To where you go to a complete stranger who has specialized in studying the human brain and the way it works in correlation to health. And they don't know your family history, about you and your dog. They don't know about your relationship with your kids, your wife, your husband. They don't know all these things. They are literally listening to a person they've never met. Explain to them why, number one, they feel the way they do because when you finally go, okay, I'm willing to go talk to somebody and met my life about things inside my head. That's a huge step. And I can commend anyone who takes that because it's not easy. You know, even after my appointment was booked, I was so nervous about it, but I can also say that talking with the doctor that I talked to did just as much for me as about anything on the planet because to talk to someone and have them to go, okay, I understand. And I think I understand why some of these things may be, you know, happening. We're going to try this, see if we can help. And they don't judge you at all. Like you don't have to worry about, are they going to say this? Are they going to say that? Number one, patient, doctor confidentiality forbids it. And number two, who gives a shit? If he does go home 
or, or if he looks at one of his friends and goes, dude, that last guy, if I went into the doctor and he did something that truly helped me and he walked into his, to one of his colleagues, like, damn, that last guy, whew, man, but he did something that helped me. I don't care. Cause at the end of the day, he still did his job and he did an act for me and listened to me enough to help me. I don't care. Like I said, dude, I've been made fun of by the world over 13 times. There is nothing that anybody on this planet can say that I haven't thought that or worse about myself at this point. I'll be open and honest and outspoken about mental health and how people should pay more attention until they put me in the ground. Because had someone said that, had I been able to turn on, had YouTube been a thing or Instagram or, or, even podcasting back then. And I could have turned it on and saw people that I dug their music talking about the things that me and you were talking about. It would have changed my life. Mm -hmm. So thank you for having me on to talk. I sincerely appreciate that. And uh, I hope what I said made sense. (laughs) (laughs) It made perfect sense. And Chris, thank you because you're doing exactly that, which is changing people's lives for our listeners and for your fans. And, you know, I love it. I I don't know that I've ever changed anybody's life, but if hearing me talk about how crazy I am, let somebody go, maybe I should check in and get some help. Then, then it's all good. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate you you being on the podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Next up, we have Carly Hester clinical social worker and manager at NAMI Philadelphia, NAMI standing for the National Alliance on Mental Health. Carly talks about the symptoms of bipolar, the correlation between gut health and mental health, and the mental health resources you can find online at nami.org and at a local chapter near you. Hi, Carly. You know, we just talked with Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry, and he described uh, symptoms of bipolar disorder. I was wondering, can you give us some basics on bipolar and some of the symptoms to look out for? Folks may know it otherwise as manic depression or um, manic depressive disorder, but bipolar disorder is a very serious mental illness, and it is a disorder that is characterized by extreme changes in mood, so from mania to depression. However, between those mood episodes, a person living with bipolar disorder, they will experience or may experience normal mood. Okay. How long do the shifts normally last? I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah. So with each individual, it can be a different experience. So there are two different types of bipolar disorder. There's bipolar one, and then there's bipolar two. Bipolar one Mm -hmm. That involves episodes of severe mania and often depression as well. And typically with bipolar one, these manic episodes last for at least seven days. And often manic episodes are more severe. They're longer. They may even experience psychosis. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that individual needs immediate crisis intervention or immediate hospital care. And the depression episodes for folks living with bipolar one, they can typically last at least two weeks or longer. But with bipolar two disorder, it involves less severe forms of mania. So the mania isn't lasting as long. It's not as severe. There's no psychosis involved. It's also described as hypomania. Mm -hmm. So it's a little less severe than those living with bipolar one. Thank you so much for clarifying that. You're welcome. Uh, Because I myself am learning more about bipolar. Mm -hmm. And a lot of musicians uh, are speaking out now. Demi Lovato is one that has been speaking out quite a bit. We have Pete Wentz of Fallout Mm -hmm. Boy. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Ray Davies of The Kinks. Scott Stapp of Cree. These are all musicians that are speaking out having signs and behaviors of bipolar disorder. So there's been more talk about the correlation between gut health and mental health. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, I think there's such a correlation between gut health and mental health. And it's because we have beneficial bacteria within our guts. And 
when that is weakened or when there's damage within our, our gut due to stress, the integrity of our gut lining can be compromised. And it makes us more susceptible to exhaustion, deficiencies, different forms of depression and anxiety. And actually, I read the vast majority of serotonin, which is like the happy stuff that's in our mm-hmm. brain that makes us feel good, is in our gut. And that serotonin is produced there and it travels through the body to our brain. And mm-hmm. when our gut is compromised, our serotonin levels are less. Mm. And there's not a lot of serotonin to travel to our brain. So there is a big correlation between lack of serotonin and depression and anxiety and diagnoses that are similar to those. Thank you so much for clarifying that, because I think that's kind of new information in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we should all really be aware of our gut health and that it could affect our entire body, not just our gut. So if there are musicians that are on tour or anyone that is uh, starting to have signs of bipolar, what are some of the services that NAMI can provide? NAMI affiliates have helplines. NAMI National has a helpline that you can call into if you're feeling signs of mental health distress or if you're feeling in crisis, you can always call the NAMI helplines at your various affiliate offices or the helpline for the national NAMI line is 1-800-950-NAMI. So that's pretty easy. But most importantly, if you're experiencing crisis or feeling suicidal or having feelings of self-harm, you can always reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline through phone, or you can even text now, which is great. And um, I'll give you those numbers here as well. So the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text the word NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741, and you'll be connected to a trained crisis intervention person on the other end of the phone. That is so amazing. And I love the fact that now that there's texting. Yeah, it's wonderful. We do a lot of work, NAMI does, with a program called Ending the Silence. We go into schools and we talk to youth about mental health and signs and symptoms and asking for help and advocating. And a lot of times young people are more interested in their phone through texting Mm -hmm. and musicians alike. They're busy. They're on the road. They're going to and from different gigs and shows and doing lots of things. So they may not have an opportunity to sit down and have a phone call, but texting might be an easier resource for them. And texting can add some privacy. It's confidential. And it's just so much easier, especially if you're in a crisis. Everyone seems to have the phone in their hand. And it may be easier for them to text versus talking. There is a lot of times there's a stigma, whether it's within our families or our friend circle or our community, saying, I'm struggling or I'm hurting here. I have a mental illness and I don't know like how to get help. That's a scary thing for people because of that stigma, right? That People Mm -hmm. think people with mental illness are weak or they're scary or they're crazy and they're going to harm me or themselves. So folks hide in that hurt and they don't often come forward because of that shame. So NAMI and Ending the Silence really strives to crush that stigma and to really have conversations around getting help and asking for help and that being an advocate is being a hero and that you could save someone's life. So if somebody asks for help, what is the response Mm -hmm. that is the right way to respond where you can really help? Absolutely. And I think in our Ending the Silence program and just in general, if someone asks for help, that's them being brave. And that is them coming forward and saying, I, I am hurting and I need help and I trust you to help me. So we always say, never leave that person in the dark, never leave them alone and to take action immediately and always never think that someone is joking or kidding or that it's a phase or that they're being dramatic. We always want to take someone asking for help 
seriously. And it's also empowering to ask that person, what can I do to help you? What kind of help are you looking for? And to listen to that Mm -hmm. friend and to just be with them and sit with them and just allow them to lean on you in a way that is comfortable for them, mm-hmm. but to never, never give up on them and to give them resources as the lifeline number that I mentioned and the text line number and just simply being a friend can really go far. Yeah. So NAMI.org is the website for our NAMI national office. And on that website, you can get connected to your local NAMI affiliate that is in your city or your county. You can also get tons of information on there around specific diagnoses and advocacy opportunities and various classes and support groups that your local affiliate may offer. There's also online classes that you can participate in. For example, if you're a parent or a loved one of a young person living with mental illness, there's a course called NAMI Basics where you'll learn the ins and outs of mental illness and different symptoms and things of that nature that your young person in your life might be experiencing. There's also support groups that you can find through your own local affiliate. So here in Philadelphia, we operate support groups for people living with mental illness all throughout the month. And they are free. All of NAMI services are free, regardless of insurance, regardless of socioeconomic status. All of our services are free. So if you're looking for a support group, contact your local NAMI office and say, hey, I'm someone living with mental illness. And I was wondering if you had any support groups for me. There are also support groups for loved ones, for parents, caregivers, partners of someone living with mental illness that NAMI provides as well. So we have tons and tons of stuff. Like I said, from support to advocacy to education, NAMI is here for you to love and support what you're going through. Oh my gosh, you guys are so amazing. And let me tell you something, the support groups, When people are going through whatever mental health challenge, they feel alone, even though they're surrounded by people that love them. And there's such a lack of understanding. So I know that when you go to a support group Mm -hmm. and you hear other people, it's a huge relief. And it's just the beginning of healing. And it's so important for families to understand what's going on, to get better insight so that they could help not only their loved one, but also themselves. Yeah, because it really affects everyone around them. Mental illness, it's a family thing. It's not just affecting that individual that's living with mental illness. It's in fact affecting their circles. And we want to love and support their circles as well. Well, Carly, you are great. Thank you. You're great. <laughs> Every day, you all are making a difference. We've seen it and we've lived it and we, we breathe it every day. So it's really, it's a powerful place to be. It's a powerful organization to be a part of just to see people thrive and live their best life and be true mental health warriors. Awesome. Mm -hmm. You are my NAMI superhero. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, we are grateful. A big thank you to Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry and Carly Hester of NAMI Philadelphia. We'll be closing the episode with Blackstone Cherry's single again, so stay tuned for that. For more information on Blackstone Cherry and to purchase their album, The Human Condition, visit BlackstoneCherry.com and find them on social media at Blackstone Cherry and at Blackstone Cherry Official. For more information on NAMI and NAMI Philly, visit NAMI.org, that's N-A-M-I dot org, and NAMIPhilly.org. So until next time, be brave, ask for help, and be persistent in finding the mental health that you need.
supported and partnered with Sweet Relief Musicians Fund, DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Earshot Media, and Lemon Tree Studios in Los Angeles. Visit CheckYourHeadPodcast.com where we have over 100 solutions for mental health. Be our friends on social media at CheckYourHeadPodcast. Watch us on YouTube and support us with a kind donation on CheckYourHeadPodcast.com. Check Your Head Podcast is sponsored by a 501c3 nonprofit without donations being tax deductible. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening.